one of the things I'll say on my podcast is you can't hit a target you can't see. Once you know you want to build muscle, once you know you want to be leaner, once you know you want to be faster and you want to be stronger so that you play better and you move from wing back to center back or whatever it is so you can get physically stronger, you can work towards that. You just need to know what the end goal is and then reverse engineer. Hello folks, welcome to episode 18 of the Fit Sake podcast, brought to you by FS Gyms. This week myself, Rhodes and Dara are in Galway, joined by Brian Keane. Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing amazing. Where, where exactly are we? We're not in Galway, but we're not really in Clifton, where are we? We are about 10 minutes from Galway City, but you're right beside the race course. So the Galway okay. race is there, if you literally walk 4 minutes down that way, you're right at Galway races. This is my house here, I don't live here anymore, it's out in the middle of nowhere. Fantastic. And it's about a million degrees outside, so we're disgusted here and have a barbecue going for us when we got up here. Uh, next time. Yeah, next, next time. time. Podcast too. R- 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 <laughs> Rudd's very unimpressed. But uh, thanks a million for welcoming us into your home. Um, we've got what I think is going to be a savage episode lined up. A couple of the big things, obviously, for all of our listeners on Pundit Arena. They're going to be picking up some really good things from Brian in terms of GAA, um, physique, performance for GAA. And then obviously with the online coaching, something that we're getting into at FS lot more from Rudd's transformation program so anyone who's taken part in any of the transformation contests in the past or was thinking about doing them are definitely going to get huge value from what you have to say uh, so Rudd's we'll jump over to you straight away for the key points for the podcast so uh, training for improvements in body composition but sports performance simultaneously so how you do that um, getting shredded and playing well very difficult to do yeah, yeah. very difficult yeah. to do nutrition for GAA and finally the fitness mindset awesome all right so I, I Format-wise, I'm ridiculous. So for anyone that's listening here, I don't pre-plan for anything. I don't know any of the questions. I don't know the format of... I've listened to your episode with Damien. I'm like, right, I don't know how this is going to rock. So yeah, we, we generally win it. We, 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 we tried before. Everything was very scripted. So we've got these three things. We generally waffle around them for a little bit and Love we that. kind of cover them in the end. But uh, you were saying you put up a video just there on Instagram making me and Ruds and Dara look very bad. You, bang everything, yeah, you, you bang everything out on your phone. You, know, you got like, like 90,000 listeners a month. We've Ruds, we've got everything. we got the mics. We're like that uh, asshole who turns up to a golf course. Like He's, he's got <laughs> all the gear you. and he just can't play. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so basically, Ruds. So just like looking at the testimonials on your website for your Lean Body program, you have some incredible transformations on that. Um, could you just give us a little bit more of a background of how that works? So the GA Lean Body program, which is one of my flagship programs, I've got two programs. I've got my BKF Online, which is my general population, people looking to lose body fat, people that are athletes, and then my GA Lean Body program, which is basically the program that I wanted for years. I grew up playing GEA, again, went off on different paths. I was a competitive bodybuilder, professional fitness model, I ran Marathon de Sable. I did all of these different things that are fitness-based, but GEA was my bread and butter. It's what I grew up doing. But I came kind of from an angle of when I was 19, 20, 21, and older, 22, 23 even, I wanted to figure out how to get stronger for football. I wanted to figure out how to get faster, but I also wanted to have a six pack and I wanted to have big arms and I wanted to have shoulders. I wanted to look better. You weren't, I being, to be, gre- I you weren't be, being greedy at all. No, I was like, I was like, I want to play, be amazing. I want to play incredible full forward and I want to pull on Saturday night. Like that, that was literally my, my, my thought process. And the G Alien Body Program was, was effectively the, the combination of it. I created, they always say in business to fill the void or fill the gap and serve you know, the people that you want to serve and provide value where there is no value already. And there was none of these programs. There was no strength and conditioning program that merged body composition. And when I was growing up, because coming through that underage system, that, you know, county underage system, playing football all my life, strength and conditioning coaches always told me, right, you can be stronger, you can be faster, here's how you do it. And then I'd be like, well, how do I get a six pack? How do I get a little bit leaner? They're like, that doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And then I would chat to competitive bodybuilders and people that were like looking really good and they tell me how to change my body composition, but it would make me stiff and rigid and they're like, well, it won't improve your performance and it'll actually probably go the other way. Okay. So what I did was I came at it from the angle of both. So I'm a strength and conditioning coach, sports nutritionist, personal trainer. That's my background. And I merged them. So basically the GA Lean Body Program is working with athletes that want that. They want to be bigger, they want to be or leaner, or they want to be stronger, they want to be faster, they want to be able to take off quicker, they want to be able to jump higher, they want to improve their overall muscular performance, but they also want to look better. I work with females as well, come on players, ladies, footballers as well, so yep. it's not just guys. But that's kind of where that came from. Um, and it was basically just a merging of it to kind of give you an idea of that program. That's what it was. It's it's mixing strength and conditioning, hypertrophy, metabolic conditioning with nutritional strategies, things like carb cycling. I'm big on that for GEA players particularly because you get all the benefits of 
you know, improving your insulin sensitivity in, on top of loading glycogen and keeping your carbohydrate stores full so that yeah. your performance isn't negatively effective. Because that's what happened to me. When I made the mistake at 19, 20, 21, I'd go low carb because I was trying to get leaner, but then I'd have no energy for gains. Performance to suffer, yeah. um, Massively. And then you'd have to run the risk of injury because you weren't cognitively yeah. switched on and all these other negative stuff that would come from it. When I'm like, well, really, I could have had the best of both. I could have done the low carb on a certain day. I could have had my nutrition on point on other days and then loaded my carbohydrates, which actually would have given me probably a metabolic spike anyway. Yeah. And it, would, and it would have peaked me for performance. So that's kind of where that came from. It, it's something that we'd probably see a lot of as well. I like worked with underage rugby teams and stuff before we opened the gym and kind of even just younger athletes that you'd have coming into the gym. Like everybody wants that. They, it, It's becoming more sort of accepted now that basically, I think Joe DeFranco was the best example I saw of it with the sessions he used to do with Brian Cushing, the linebacker. He was talking about how he just wanted to be big and jacked as well as like best linebacker in the NFL. And uh, Joe DeFranco said, well, this is what he wants. I'm just going to give him what he wants. So was yeah. it on a Friday before games on Sundays? He used to just let yeah. him do like an arm session. Yeah. So he'd go onto the pitch, he'd feel pumped, he'd feel like he looks good and like, you know, look good, feel good, yeah. perform good. That's kind of the way these guys think. So um, with that then, how, how what's the, what are the staple things for you to combine improving body composition and performance like what are the key things that you can't is there you can do too much of one or not enough of the other what's what's the balance for so you the, again it varies person to person so i have so many variations of the program depending on someone's starting point depending on previous injuries depending on their you know training ability in general but the general aspects that i work through is a combination of hypertrophy which is building muscle yep. metabolic conditioning which is conditioning of a muscle endurance and strength and conditioning which is getting stronger and conditioning your body to perform a certain way or perform a certain movement so I tend to combine those three in a in, a, in a nearly like a trifecta so what you may do at the start of a workout is if you have you know a chest and strength and conditioning metabolic conditioning workout you'll do chest at the start for hypertrophy parameters so what i like to do to hack that slightly is i'll work in those hypertrophy eight to ten rep ranges so hypertrophy for anyone that's unfamiliar with it it's just it's just the muscle building parameters so it's three to four sets 60 to 90 second rest um eight to ten reps yep. generally that's generally your hypertrophy parameters loading the muscle under that parameter range and what i'll do there is i'll hack that slightly and I'll do slow negative tempos and explosive positives. So even though you're working hypertrophy parameters, you're still working for explosive tempo, which could potentially improve your performance for pushing people away from you yep. and make you stronger. So you may have an element of hypertrophy at the beginning. Then you'll go into some form of strength and conditioning movement, which may be a variation of a sumo glute squat or a barbell box squat where you're exploding up or a box jump or a plyometric, a, a clapping push-up or a plyometric push-up. Some variation of a strength and conditioning movement or a wood chop that you know a lot of my hurlers will do that where they're coming across their body and learning to generate power in a swing um, and then you may have some form of metabolic conditioning which is normally again it looks different depending on the level but i like a variation of either a kettlebell a box a trx or body weight high volume with low rest so you're conditioning the muscle so say a box jump 15 reps a spider push up 15 reps uh trx mountain climbers 15 reps and you do a rotation three times on that and you only rest as you need to so you're getting your heart rate up you're doing high intensity which is covering your cardio effectively yeah and um, which is going to improve your overall aerobic capacity and then you're also going to be conditioning the muscle because you're doing movement patterns that are going to translate over onto the pitch so it talks about like building size then while still having some kind of a performance specific key so that thing you're talking about being explosive or you're talking about tying in sports specific movements but while trying to build size at the same time keep keeping the eye in that sense i suppose yeah well like the thing is Building a lot of it comes down to your nutrition. So as long as your nutrition is good in terms of eating enough calories, getting enough protein to repair, because that's all protein is made up of amino acids. Those amino acids are going to come in and repair the fibers you've torn down and provided that you're in a surplus or you're eating enough calories, you're going to be able to add size if you're doing the right stimulation work in the gym or you know whatever resistance training you're doing. But in the sense of keeping and building size in a conditioning aspect, keeping some form of hypertrophy in there and working in those parameters, particularly with your compound lifts, mm. you know, your military press, your bench press, your row, your squat. I don't do traditional deadlifts with my players just because they're a movement that unless I'm standing over someone, it's such a high risk move. I don't like doing it with them, but deadlifts an amazing move if you have a one-to-one -one coach. Yeah. You know, I'm sure you do it with people in the gym all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's a great move. But I don't do it because my programs are online, they're video based, and then I'm coaching with them on the first eight weeks for phase one. So I don't have it in there. But those movement patterns in hypertrophy ranges and then repairing back with your nutrition, so you're getting enough amino acids, you're getting enough protein, you're getting enough calories, you can build size. 
Building dysfunctional muscle is dysfunctional. Building a muscle in one plane of motion on a machine mm-hmm. or with a bench press or with a dumbbell in one plane, that's what's not going to support you on the pitch because it doesn't translate over because you're moving multidirectional on the pitch. Building muscle in parameters that are hypertrophy at the beginning, but you're still conditioning the muscle and movement patterns that you're doing on the pitch. Functional muscle is functional. One of the biggest misconceptions, and I had this coming up with strength and conditioning coaches when I was younger, was they were like, oh, if you get too big, you'll be too slow. It'll slow you down and you won't be able to get any, you know, your performance will be affected when you'll slow down. That's not true. That's not, it's, it's the way you build muscle will determine if you slow down. Yes, if you build it on a machine and you build it in one plane of motion and then try and twist and turn, you'll not only improve your, increase your risk of injury, you'll also negatively affect your performance because you're not doing that movement pattern. But if you're building muscle with the right conditions in your training and then you're repairing it back with the right nutritional strategies, you can have both. You can build muscle, you can get leaner, you can improve your performance and you can have it all. You just have to make sure that you know what the end goal is. One of the things I'll say on my podcast is you can't hit a target you can't see. Once you know you want to build muscle, once you know you want to be leaner, once you know you want to be faster and you want to be stronger so that you play better and you move from wing back to center back or whatever it is so you can get physically stronger, you can work towards that. You just need to know what the end goal is and then reverse engineer it. I think as well, like there's two things I take out of that that I've seen work where you know maybe you come from an angle of like you can't train these two things at once. I think what the mistake a lot of people make when they're training for hypertrophy and they play a sport as well, like you were saying, is they follow a strict bodybuilding program. But the only problem is if you put on muscle, so you add weight and you don't get stronger, you will get slower. You'll get less explosive. But if you have a program where you're building lean tissue and you're getting more muscular, and even if you add a kilo to a muscle, but you get 20 kilos stronger on your big movements, like your squats, then you are going to be faster, or at least you're not going to lose any speed and you'll be more robust for any collisions. So like the best example for me, this is totally anecdotal, but I haven't missed a game in injury in like eight years. Um... I'm retired. I'm retired now. Just retired. Yeah. Just retired. So, but like, uh, do you know, like a lot. Like, I was chatting to the physio, and she was saying, like, I can't believe that, like, over the last couple of years, you just haven't been in to see me. And like, I put, uh, I attribute that to two things. One, probably running slow the whole game. That (laughs) helps. Definitely helps. So that that reduces any risk of muscle tears. But the second thing was, like, just I've always lifted weights. I've always loved lifting weights. Um, and I think that that's helped to make me strong and conditioned. I watched um, a lot of like Brad Thorne's videos on YouTube yeah. and he always placed an emphasis on doing those big movements like squats, the presses, doing them with really good form. And he talked about like the ability to get down in a deep squat and how that makes him stronger and more robust for scrummaging. So I think like anyone who's out there who's training for an athletic performance background, the worst thing you can do is go off and do a pure bodybuilding routine. And then that's what's going to lead to that stigma where doing it. But if you can do something where you address adding some lean tissue, but you're getting stronger as you're adding lean tissue, it's going to improve your performance unless you're in a weight class sport, then that's a different conversation. But rugby, GEA aren't weight class sports. And maybe having a little bit more muscle tissue might help you when you were talking about loading glycogen. You have more capacity to store glycogen. But also you have more just meat on your bones. So like if someone runs into you, you get put in an awkward position, your arm gets caught overhead, you might have a chance of not getting injured when you did it. So And and then, sorry, the second point I'd like to touch on is... I could, like again coming from so myself and Rory studied in college together um, sports science and then he copied all my work or yeah, so. <laughs> I copied all Rory's work yeah. and then going off and doing a masters you, like you'd read certain things and you say like you know you have to do your strength and power work at the start because that's when you're neurologically most primed to do the work and you become fatigued afterwards and then working now for the last five years with people what I found is um, and reading work from guys like Joe DeFranco or guys like um, renegade performance uh, Fruge or whatever his name is I can't remember but like reading their work they do like hypertrophy before doing strength and I was yeah. like wow that's actually strange I didn't think that would work but the way they talked about it was that that actually acts as like almost a warm up and a primer for doing the other stuff and I started incorporating it in our strength and conditioning program so a lot of our warm ups now in the classes would be we might do four rounds and we'll do like band rows for hypertrophy reps RDLs with like a light to moderate weight for hypertrophy reps Uh, so it's like 
it is warming up, but it's doing the movements you're going to do in the session. You're activating everything. And I always just feel good after doing that stuff. Yeah. So when you heart go, into your, up, yeah. you go yeah. into your strength lift, your heart rate's up. Um, you've activated all the muscles. You practice the movement patterns. So when you go in and lift, especially for people who get a bit older. So say, for instance, if you're listening to this now and you're older, maybe try doing something like that before you go and do your heavy lift. And you yeah. might just feel better under a squat. Whereas yeah. maybe when you're... 18, 19 years of age, you can get under anything with no warm matter, up yeah, and you yeah, feel yeah. good yeah. And, you're up and get over anything at 18. Yeah. <laughs> so, something you've all touched about there is. Yeah, we haven't started that one yet. Uh, like injuries, you both kind of mentioned injuries there briefly. Obviously, with like mostly online coaching that you're doing, um, like how do you look at tweaking things with people? I'll give you the example is. Um, like if people get injured in the gym for us, say for example, Rudd's fiance badly hurt her yeah. foot playing tag rugby last night. Yeah. And like, uh, you know, not used to necessarily being injured. And when somebody gets hurt like that, who's not used to playing a field-based sport where they might pick up soft tissue injuries regularly, yeah. it can seem like the end of the world. Like, like I can't train, I can't go to the gym. Like how do you manage that with your clients that you train online? If they pick up an injury, they pick up a tweak, how do you manage their program to keep them on track instead of just, you know, out the window because I'm injured now? Uh, that's really, really common. I won't say really common, but it happens in about five percent of people where a lot of it's like because people get injured where you're out messing with your mates yeah, yeah. Or, it's not know, necessarily gym based yeah it's, it's not necessarily gym based if you're playing a sport you're gonna yeah. get injured like. yeah. it's different what happens with people so I approach it from are we talking general population or sports both people? both of the interesting so, both so the, the sports people it's a little bit easier because a lot of the in- injuries are frequent injuries hamstring pulls groin pulls ACL if it's a contact you know or, or you have yeah. a twist uh, a lot of those are going to be in combination with their physio so normally what I'll do is whoever the club's physio is that they're working with their county the county guys particularly the really good physios is I'll talk with them and go well this is what the physio gave you and then we'll adjust the program around it we'll tailor back the nutrition because they're not training as much they obviously don't need as many calories or yeah. their carbohydrate intake will vary and we'll taper the program around what the physio says so generally I'll get the plan of the physio and they'll say, right, there's no none of these movement patterns for six weeks. Hmm. Um, and then we'll adjust it around that. So it's pretty straightforward and easy. With the general population, so people I'm working to might be careful online program that aren't athletes but are looking to, you know, um, get leaner or get a six pack or look better in a bikini for a holiday or whatever it is, yeah. or just, you know, a mom with three kids that wants to lose a little bit of body fat. I've worked with a lot of different populations. And if they get injured, it's very a lot of that's just mindset. Because yeah. people have a it's mindset in combination with the lack of knowledge in the area. And that's what they're paying us for. It's what they pay me for. It's what they pay you for. It's what you pay coaches for. Because if you get injured and you don't have the knowledge on how to train around an injury, it can be very demoralizing because you're like, oh, I'm injured. I can't train now. It's like, no, yes, you can. Mm. It's just you need to train around. But if you injure your wrist, I'll design a program and we just skip, we taper back. And a lot of the time you'll cut the entire program and you'll do a variation. I'll do some variation of a high pyramid volume on legs where they're able to hit that muscle group or some core movements that they're able to do. Or if they twist their ankle, we'll do work off a bench and we'll do a lot of rowing and presses and different variations off a bench and adjust it and tailor it. And then talk them through the fact that they're not going to be as strong because sometimes when you have an injury, even though it's your ankle that's injured, you're physically, your body's just, is is telling you not to train and you may not be as strong. So be aware that those lifts may go down. And then if you're tracking that weight, and that can happen really regularly, and then people get demoralized. They're like, I'm going backwards. That's the thing, it's expectation, like, yeah. Yes, but that's, that expectation is down to you as a trainer to reset it and go, look, you're not at 100% now. You've twisted your ankle. It's badly sprained. We'll train and we'll be able to get your body fat down and we'll be able to keep your strength to a certain line, but you're not going to progress probably in your bench press over the next yeah. few weeks because your body's injured and, it's, and it knows that. That's down to the trainer to let you know that information is happening because then you readjust the what they've set as their target the parameters shift a little but that, that's great because like it's so many people let's say if they don't have coaches or like even if it's online or physical coaches like we do a lot of work with uh, I think one of the best examples I know we're throwing a few anecdotes in and stories but uh, Paul Courtney uh, was playing football for Armagh he was interested. It was a big, big one. His goal was to get back into their mass squad. He was playing underage football, and he kind of moved to Dublin and worked for years and wanted to get back into it. And he was just about breaking back into the panel. And he did his shoulder. He couldn't train upper body for like probably twelve weeks. Yeah. But I'd never seen somebody like when we told him you can actually train. We can bring you in tailor sessions for you. They're all lower body and core based. We yeah. can use modifications in a prowler. Like not going to be pressure on the AC joint. Do yeah. whatever. 
I'd never seen a guy light up yeah. and be so happy to come in and train legs and core, yeah. you know, three times a week and like, he'd have the worst doms for the first couple of weeks. But like I've seen the impact that that can have on people when they get a knock first, like it really can hurt mentally and you yeah. can feel like you're going backwards. But to just know that you actually can still get to the gym and do what you can, but just you got to tailor the expectations and what you're going to get from it. I think that's the big thing for people listening. Like yeah. one thing we've been trying, like I've been trying to work with people and we've been trying to work with people a lot is that idea of like, looking at outcomes but then also looking at your behaviours so like for instance you know with the weight is a prime example a lot of people put a, they think progress is going to be completely linear so I put a, a photo on my Instagram the other day where it's like what people think success looks like and it's a straight line yeah, yeah. and then what success actually looks like a load of swiggles but it ends up being higher than the starting point yeah and something I found training people is a big thing is people are so focused on outcomes so everything they do is outcome based so if they didn't get stronger from week three to week four end of the world end of the world this is a failure but one thing I'm trying to get people to focus on so I was saying the other day is focus on the rep not the weight so if you're trying to lift your PB trying to think of what the weight is is not going to help you focus on the thing that will help you get tight three laps fast bar something that's process driven that is it going to actually help yeah. you move that weight um, and trying to shift people's expectations because I think that's a huge thing because like I've seen it for myself and then if you just turn up and you are very consistent and consistently with your training but also consistent with your mindset in terms of being positive enjoying actually training yeah. uh, then you, if you string together even if it was a suboptimal program if you string together six months of that you will be in such a better place than when you started yeah. But the big thing I find is people are so concerned with the outcomes and we measure outcomes all the time. Every eight weeks we strength yeah. test. Yeah. But they put all the weight in the outcome and not in the behaviours. Like how did you sleep? Did you go in, like were you positive when you went into the session? Did you enjoy the session? How did you eat beforehand? All the things that you could actually control yeah. as opposed to some, like I've had it in my programs loads of times where you think, right, this is going to get me 10 kilos stronger and you go back to test and it's 5 kilos or 2 kilos yeah. or you're weaker. Yeah. And to throw all that work out the window and not learn from it, but that's what I find a that's big thing. People, is yeah. Put, yeah. Put, people have become so obsessed with the outcomes and not looking at, right, well, I actually did all this stuff really well. There's probably this thing I'm missing. If I fix that, let's see if that helps me. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I love what you said there because it's up to us, our job as coaches, the people we work with. Like, I love the old saying that when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And I have a mantra that I live by. It's the Buddha quote that if you can't be happy on the journey, how are you going to be happy at the destination? And fitness is like that. When we're so outcome driven, and it is important to have an outcome and have a goal, because if you don't know what the goal is, you can't work backwards from it. But if you're not enjoying the process, you're not going to be happy when you hit that 10 kilos. You're not going to be happy when you hit that dress size, because what happens when you get there is the bar moves. And if you're not enjoying that process, what happens? You rebound backwards. Mm. It's why when someone goes on a juice diet or a bar diet and they lose a load of weight for six weeks, they rebound back the other way because you can't sustain that long term. It's not process. When you're eating foods you enjoy that are working towards your goal, when you're doing a program that you enjoy that is tangible, you're working for, you know, well, I'm going to try and move up my weight this week or I'm going to work for reps which I'm a big fan of working to your rep range because depending on how you slept depending on how you ate depending on loads of factors your stress someone may have shouted at you right before you came in mm. and either made you lift more or made you lift less yeah. depending on your physiological response those things can change so when you put it into something as tangible and external as well I need to increase my weight by 10 kilos your body may not listen to that but it will listen to 10 reps it will listen to 5 reps lift as much as you can for that rep range and then as long as you're enjoying that process and doing that consistently you know you are what you do over time you know tell me what you do every day and I'll tell you where you'll be in 10 years Mm. like once you have a program that's in alignment with what it is that you want to achieve you know you're designing programs for the people you're working with you're designing the nutrition you're working with them and they're enjoying that process you are going to get to the end goal and what's going to be better is you're going to keep moving and enjoying it and continually progress you know after a certain point of time it's just going to become a habit and the new way that you live that's the key to success that's our jobs as trainers it, is to give people that it's great to hear you touch on that because obviously we'll talk about like definitely psychology is such an interesting area Rudd's is doing lots of work on it uh, we're doing a lot of work in the gym with how we program for people we're looking even into the psychology of how we deliver the programs mm. but there's a guy in the gym we had him on our previous podcast um, Neil Neil's by Neil as he's better known on Instagram that's kind of more people know him that way but basically he's uh, gone on you know, a roller coaster of a weight loss and weight gain journey over the last maybe six to eight years. Um, kind of up around 130 kgs, dropped to 90 kgs, back up to 145 kgs. And now he's on the way back down. He's under 100 he's at under the minute. Yeah, under, under 100 for the first time. But what, what he's done is it's exactly that, like you're talking about the process. 
for him, before when he went from like 130 odd to 90, he was so focused on getting to 90 and that was how he was going to do it. And he didn't enjoy any of the process and it didn't really make him feel better. He thought when he got to 90, that's it, everything's going to feel great. Yeah. But he didn't have the kind of good affirmations throughout that process. That's why he shot back up to heavier than he'd ever been. Yeah. But now he's doing it in such a, a slow, steady, sustainable way because he's just enjoying what he does every day. He enjoys coming into the gym. He also, shout out to him, just rode a million meters uh, in six months. So he's been, he's been working on that. So that's something he set himself that goal. But that's part of his bigger goal, yeah. which is to drop his body fat. So he's found these nice little targets and challenges within that journey yeah. to make the end goal seem a little bit easier. So he can look back when he gets to his target weight and say, well, I rode a million meters, I ran a marathon, I did all these different things that are going to stand to me for the rest of my life. And it just it, it's exactly what you said there. It ties in really nicely. You have to enjoy all those steps along the way. Yeah, well, that's it. If you don't, you don't enjoy the process. It makes it very, very difficult because... As soon as you get to that point, you're, you're at risk of rebounding back the other way. And I love what you said there about the small targets along the way. Because when you do that, it makes it so much easier because it's the old adage, how do you eat an elephant? You eat an elephant bite by bite. Like the biggest task, the most daunting things can seem so... Rudds it at hold probably, to be honest. Wait, but I think that, the yeah. big guy. With my traps and shoulders, I'd have eaten an elephant like that too. Oh, he loves that so much. <laughs> more shrugs. Yeah. That's how it is. You know, it, it's break it down, you know, and... and that, that's again the beauty of working as a trainer working with people the psychology behind it is finding what drives people because everyone has different drivers for some people it's to look better on a Saturday night for some people it's to have more confidence when they walk in the room for some people it's an athletic performance yeah. for other people it's they were told they can't and they're using that as a driver to do it everyone has different psychological reasons for why they do things and when you're working with someone as a trainer if you can delve into that and figure out what's that driver you can touch on that you know either a pain point or a pleasure point whatever it is and you can use that then to fuel them on the days you'll know because you'll get when you're talking to people some people will be fueled by pain you know you'll get me by telling me I can't do something you won't get me by telling me I look pretty but I know my own self-awareness and psychology that that's what I need. So my network, when I'm trying to push past things, are telling me, you know, stop being a pussy. You know, they know that works for me. That same tendency will break, will shut somebody else down. You tell Sally, who's 40, who's been shouted at at home for the last, you know, six years from her kids and everyone else, you tell her that, she's going to break down and cry. You know, she needs a bit of positive reinforcement. So it's understanding the psychology of different people and what makes them tick and using that. Very interesting to hear you say that. I'm probably going to jump across the room and say, but um, quite like with Damien Brown, we Damien on the podcast, if you listen to Rolling Cross Nelly, and he talked about uh, his mental strategies to improve his performance. And it's exactly that. He was talking about he had had a cut. I won't repeat it because I got in a lot of trouble from a lot of listeners uh, because I didn't have an explicit mark next to the podcast. Oh, you should have told me this before. You haven't said anything as bad as him yet, Dory. But I'm only joking. But uh, yeah, I got one very interesting text message from uh, someone's kid was in the car with them I got a lot of grief the oh next Lord. day but uh, that was good but uh, like that's what he talks about is to to find out what motivates you and I think the big part of that is it's about being uncomfortable you don't really know what motivates you until you're in those really uncomfortable situations yeah. where something can actually make a big difference between getting something done and failing yeah. uh, and to get into those positions and he's t- he talked about how he puts himself in those positions and training all the time because he's going to need them so much when he, when he gets into you know whatever event it is that he's doing um, like do you use many strategies like that in your own training where you're you know if you got a really set specific strategy that you yeah, work off I do more so as, as kind of a life strategy like I, I try and live my life in a perpetual state of discomfort because I'm aware that you know I love the Vincent Van Gogh quote that the comfort zone is a beautiful place but nothing ever grows there and I live a, I have a lot of mantras and quotes that's how I reflect and it's how I try and use things as reference points for my own thoughts but how you do anything is how you do everything and I know when I continually put myself into that perpetual state of discomfort when I train. Now, I train very, very hard. Like if I, one of the reasons I don't train with people is because there's very few people who can level up to the way I train, particularly at the intensity level and the rest periods that I take. It's my meditation. I don't do traditional meditation because I get it from training, yep. because it disconnects me completely from the world. My entire prefrontal cortex, that transient hyperfrontality of the front part of your brain, completely shuts off. I'm in a zone when I'm training. And it's to the point where nearly every session I feel sick on whatever it is I'm doing, whether it's a run, whether it's a high intensity workout, whether it's a weight session, I'm pushing myself to the absolute limit every day for myself because I know it translates into other areas of my life. And every time I need a reference point for, you know, dealing with a, a problem in a relationship with somebody or dealing with, you know, something that's going on with my daughter or dealing with something that's going on in my personal life, it translates because you're using those discomfort and uncomfortable moments in your training as reference points for other areas of your life. You're anchoring in those discomforts and go, well, look, I'm so uncomfortable when I'm training legs and I don't want to do it and I feel like I'm going to get sick and I want to stop. 
you get that same thing when you're in a conversation with somebody when you feel like you're going to shout at them when you feel like you're going to blow off you're going to go okay lean into this discomfort why is this annoying me why is this angering me why am i reacting this way and when you start to do that training it's the reason i love fitness it's a way to use that living every day as a discomfort like damien did where he goes to that place in training because he knew he had to go there when he rode the atlantic you do that in your training every day you're going to do it in your personal life you're going to do it in all areas of your life it's one of the reasons why i did marathon de sabla you know 250 kilometer runs to the sahara i hate running like but that's why i signed I'm up i'm going to touch it. on that a bit more in a second yeah it's, it's, but it's that. why i did it it's why i signed up for it because i hate running and i knew that i was going to have to become a better version of me to even get and do that because i'd never ran a marathon i ran my first marathon to prepare for it i only ran one and only marathon in dubai to prepare for it and that's why because when you lean into those discomforts on the other side of discomforts growth what happens when you lean into that leg workout? What happens when you shrug that weight for your traps? That's how you get trapped like that. You know, it, that's what happens. Your body responds when you lean into the resistance of a workout. Your body responds by changing, by building muscle or losing body fat or responding and transforming. Your life's the exact same. Your psychology is the exact same. You lean into the discomfort of conversations that you need to have with somebody, the conflict avoidance, whatever it is that you're doing and that you're going away from and coming away from. That's not how you grow. That's not how you grow as a person. Use your training, use your fitness as a representation for how you do everything in your life because how you do everything is how you do anything. And if you do that continuously, not only will you have the body you want, not only will you have the physique you want, but you'll probably have the life that you want because the way you see things will be completely different because you're leaning into discomfort as opposed to going away from it because you do that in your workouts. I think wow. as well, like, for, like I'd be exactly the same, like why I've always really loved training. I've done a lot of things in terms of training, like, you know, would have started out doing a lot of running and loved doing that, and then would have done more weights work, and then, for instance, the rugby, now doing Olympic lifting, done some rowing, like all these different types of things. But the thing I really love about it is the confidence I get from it. So, like, that's what got me started in it is like kind of lower self confidence when I was a teenager, started doing this stuff, and it gave me a huge bump in my confidence. And I'd still use that now as something to give me confidence because, like, real confidence, I believe, is built on work. Yeah. So, you know, someone who talk and they'll tell you the greater things, but then when it comes down to the crunch moment where you're talking about having to lean into the discomfort, they don't have that real confidence. Whereas some of the most confident people I know are really quiet. Yeah. They've got a quiet confidence because they, like you said, about doing stuff every day. So for myself, and one of the reasons why I love doing my job is seeing someone's confidence improve because they they adopt a regular training practice they learn to get comfortable with the uncomfortable they learn that they can do way more than they think they can and that's what the training is in their life so like for instance if you see my instagram one of the hashtags i always use is being strong isn't wrong and the other one is strong for life everything i'll always put in that and that's my philosophy around training is in like the reason you train doesn't matter what it is is you every time you go in and you do a workout and you push yourself and you go to a place you didn't want to go, or you just, like you said, you don't want to train, you go and you do it. Yeah. You then bank confidence for other things, and it's your confidence is built on something. Damon talked about it with practicing self-talk. He has to be in that place where he's really finding it hard to practice self-talk, yeah. because that's when yeah. he's got the confidence that he knows it's going to work. So sitting down in a room with me, and I just tell you, you've got to have this positive mantra that'll be fine but then when you go into that place you're not going to have that belief in that mantra whereas yeah. if you've used it in challenging situations over and over again and you come out the other side like you talk about growth the other side for me that's what why I train is it gives me confidence and that's why I love my job because I can help people to come in and have some sort of physical practice that they do a few times a week but it helps their confidence yeah I love what you said there about the positive mantra means nothing um, like I love what Mike Tyson used to always say is like everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the yeah. face <laughs> and that's what positive affirmations are if they're not tied to anything they're brilliant to do but if you can't tie them to an actual physical thing that you do they're not going to mean anything um, and I love that because confidence comes and I've spoken about this as well on my platforms and podcasts that confidence comes from doing things that you didn't think you could do and then pushing past it because you, you layered, like I always use an analogy that I think of confidence like legs on a table. Like every time you do something that you didn't think you could do, you put another leg to that table. And before you know it, you've got this really sturdy table and you're walking confidence. How many people have you worked with? This is why I love the gym. Because you'll have someone that walks into a gym. I remember a girl back when I used to do one-to-one. It's been three years since I used to do one-to-one with people. But I had a girl, I remember the first time she came into the gym to me. This has happened a few times, but one that really stands out. And I'm sure you've seen it with your clients. They'll come in and their head is down, their shoulders are slouched, and they're, they're barely 
rarely able to talk to you because of you know their, their own confidence issues some people just can't walk into a room yeah, yeah. you know we can take it for granted that we can walk into a room now because we've got training we've got life we've got things that we've done in sports where you've built confidence and it just translates into other areas of your life not everybody has that and I remember this girl she walked in she was really really overweight um, like her, our whole first workout was walking up and down the stairs of the gym. We didn't do anything in the gym. That's all she could do because she was so overweight. She got sent by a doctor because she was nearly just a couple of months away from type 2 diabetes. Okay. And she ended up completely trans- transforming her life. I remember she sent me a photo that went viral. Um, it was a photo of her on a plane with the seatbelt buckle. And she's like, this is the first time I've been able to go on a traditional seat. Picture went viral because she lost ridiculous amounts of weight. Wow. She looked like a completely different person. But the way she walks, she does CrossFit now. She's in a CrossFit box now. And the way she walks into a room now, she, she got a boyfriend for her first time about yeah. a year after we were training together. First ever boyfriend, she was 26 at the time. And the way she walks into a room now and the way she carries herself. Very but nice. I remember the girl that came into that gym the first time. We can do that as trainers. You know, we have that ability. And people that are listening that are in that place where they're like, I'd love to be more confident. You get confidence from setting a target and hitting a target. Be it small, be whatever it is, but particularly when it's something that you're not sure you can do. That's why I love things like uh, lifting to a weight or working eventually to a 5K or 10K or a half marathon or a marathon, whatever it is, it's completely relative. For some people, it's just walking around the block in the evening after yeah. work when they're tired. It's so relative. But doing something that you didn't think you could do or doing something that you didn't want to do and then you still did it, you start strengthening those legs on the table and that confidence gets stronger and stronger and stronger and then you build off that. One of the best things what you're saying there is I think people don't realise as well, obviously we as trainers and coaches have the power to help people in that way, mm-hmm. but people have the power to help themselves yeah. in, in that same way. And that's the biggest thing that I, I love seeing in my job is uh, I was given, we met um, Jerry Hussey yesterday for a coffee and talked about sort of power of mind and a couple of different things. And I was talking about my biggest thing that I still love about my job every day is if I'm standing in, in a Metcon class with somebody and I say to them, right, you've got a 30 second effort on the assault bike, you're going to clock 18 calories. Yeah. And they're looking at you going, it's the end of the session. <laughs> it's, it's not going to happen. I'd say anyone who's listening to this who's in the gym is saying like, yeah, I, I know exactly bike. when he comes over and says this to me. But like, and then they do it. And then they look at you and they go, oh, I didn't think I could do that. And they're like, well, you can. Yeah. You just did something you didn't think you can. And it's a, something as simple as a 30 second effort in the gym. Boom. Yeah. Now that person knows they're capable of more than they thought they were this morning. Yeah. And that transfers. I've seen exactly the type of people who come into the gym that you're talking about. Tons of them over the last five years. They come in, self-confidence low. They start to achieve things in the gym. They start to achieve things with their body. They think they can happen. They happen to get better jobs. They happen to get partners. They happen yeah. to move on. And like they're doing that. We're helping them. We're, we're providing a platform. We're giving them support. But they're the ones that are doing it. Yeah. Um, that, that's a big thing I take from that. In terms of for your own journey as a coach, was psychology something you were always interested in or did it come secondary to working to, with people? It was, for me, it was a case that, they, they always say that necessity is the mother of invention. And it was a case that I had certain clients that I was working with, particularly I was one-to-one. I've been able to transfer this online to a large part and then different speaking than I do in the book and things like that but what I noticed with people that I was working with it wasn't the traditional stuff that was setting them back I'm like most people know how to get in shape you do a little bit of resistance training you do a little bit more cardio you eat healthier food you eat less of it or you eat more of it if you want to get bigger or or smaller like you want to lose body fat you eat less food you want to get bigger you eat more food it's it's as simple as that it's not easy but that wasn't setting people back and that's literally what I wrote the fitness mindset the book was yeah. entirely on that angle that right that whole first half of the section is here's everything you need to do to get in shape but the mindset was the stuff that was setting people that they, they were setting them off track it was not creating the right habits daily it was not dealing with stress and anxiety and worry the things that were just shooting cortisol through the roof, roof. it was not finding a why something strong enough that could pull you on the days you didn't want to do it it was all of these other things the way you're looking at situations and getting stressed out because of them it was all these other things that were setting people back and that psychology came out of needing to solve the problem of my clients and trying to figure out well why is it that that's holding you back what's going on here what happened to allow that to be an anchor for you and not allow you to move forward because you know not to eat that two tubs of Ben and Jerry's at night time. Yeah. You, know, you know you need to do those 10 minutes ahead at the end of your workout, but you're not doing them. What's, why is that stopping you? And it's kind of delving into that psychology because that, that's what interests me. It's still what interests me in people today. Like I'm super interested in people, why people do the things that they do and why we think the way that we think. A lot of it came from my own issues. When I'm trying to deal with, you know, you always become your, the best teacher when you've helped yourself first. Yeah. And 
that was a deal with a lot of my own issues. One of the reasons that I do so well with people that have issues with the way they look and issues with self-confidence and issues with networks around them that tell them they can't do things is because I lived it and I came out the other side and your mess becomes your message. And then I'm just able to go back and use my story as a reference point to help people propel in their life. Because sometimes that's all you need to do. You just need to let them know that, look, you're not the first person that's had this problem. You're not the first person that's had a partner or a mother or a father or a brother or sister tell them they can't do something. You're not the first person that self-sabotages at the weekends because you're unhappy with the way your job is. Other people have done this too, and then it's delving into that. And when you're able to pull that out, you can help people more. And at the end of the day, just that's what it comes down to. How can I help people? What do I need to do? Or who do I need to become in order to help? help this person and then doing it that way I think like and a lot of people I find when um, so like that's where kind of I'm at now in my journey as a coach that I'm going to go back and do a diploma in sports psychology because I see that where you talk to a lot of trainers and you're going well these bits we all know these bits that you spoke about but how do we get someone to do that how do I get myself to do that how do I tackle my own issues yeah. and take that on um, and I think awareness is a key point in that like becoming aware of whatever it is becoming what aware of whatever that roadblock is is a starting point to moving on so I think someone out there maybe having a look at your book and going through and going do I know all the stuff at the start yeah I know this stuff well it's this stuff after this is what I really need to work on and start kind of yeah. dipping into that and start practicing some of the things yeah and uh, I think that's a great way to kind of almost wrap it up but before we do one of us is going to get seriously uncomfortable in the next couple of minutes and I'm looking I'm pulling up the kind of loose script we have here and, <laughs> uh, I'm just going to so yeah quickly you're talking about the MDS like yeah. unbelievable uh, yourself and Damien obviously that when he was talking about it uh, oh, you're making me look like crap after doing my uh, first marathon I sent you a message after I did Prague. yeah you yeah. legend fair uh, play me totally relevant yeah, man. it was, it was class play. that was really good uh, yeah. but you were like just after running the, the MDS at the same time I was like I can't wait to meet this guy I was like, like oh, that was so tough going through the experience of uh, like you know training wasn't perfect coming into it but I really enjoyed the last three weeks I got the body right just in time ready yeah. to go do it and like I really enjoyed that three weeks of building up to it having that goal it's exactly like you're talking about doing something completely outside my comfort zone that just wouldn't have, it never interested me yeah. it was more the interest of how what am I going to learn about myself over the next month while I'm doing this um, and like you know so I'm already starting to think of different things down the line but I'd imagine the MDS is an incredible like explorative journey for you I would have to think it was because the reason the MDS for those that don't know, it's 250-kilometer self-sufficient run through the Sahara Desert, so you carry all your food in your back, your water's rationed. How heavy was the backpack? Nearly 15 kilos starting. Okay, so... Um, yeah, I had a lot of food. Um, yeah, because I, I had about 20 kilos on everyone else out there, because it was like other ultra-marathon runners. And You're very tall as well, so that's... Yeah, that's, that's it, yeah. Well, well I, 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 jo- I joked on... Uh, I did a podcast on it, and I joked that I was, about, I was about 84 kilos starting, and there was one other guy in my tent who was 84 kilos. I'm 5'8", he was 6'7". So that gives you a gauge on... The, the, the body shapes, the body yeah. shapes yeah. that were there. So I was getting some funny looks. But um, one of the reasons that in the MDS, again, it, it probably closes off this so well, is when I heard about the MDS first, it, my initial thought process was, I don't think I can do that. And that was the first time that happened in quite a while. I was at a Tony Robbins uh, Business Mastery in Amsterdam. Amazing event for, for scaling up your business. And I met a guy there who had ran it, Tom Otten, from he's living in Dubai, who's since become a very close friend. And he was telling me about this event. And I was like, Jesus, I don't think I can do that. Um, and that was the first time in two, because I'd been doing really well in other areas of my life up until that point. I hadn't had these self-limiting beliefs and things I could do, but that was my default. That was my automatic thought was, I don't know if I can do that. Daniel Kahneman talks in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, an international bestseller. It's one of my favorites, but our system one and system two thought process, our system ones are automatic go-to. When somebody says something, what's your automatic thought? Then your system two is your slow, reflective, actually look back on it. My automatic system one on that was, I don't know if I can do that. And that's why I signed up for it because I'm always saying that you got to attack fears and behind every fear is a person you want to be. And I knew that I had to live that out myself. Leaning into that discomfort. Le- like that, yeah. of leaning into it. I remember I did my first workout for in August of last year. Marathon Sabla of MDS was in April, just gone. And I did my first workout. It was two kilometers on the treadmill. I nearly got sick. I thought I was, I, I was like, I can't believe I'm after signing up to the MDS. Um, I nearly got sick after two kilometers. I hadn't ran in ages. Like a GA background, but I hadn't ran in a couple of years properly. Um, and I didn't know what I was doing. Now I built up again, how to eat an elephant bite by bite. I went from two kilometers at the end of workouts to four. Then I went to five. Then I went to six. Then I went to seven. Then I went to 10. I went to 20. And I built it up that way until I was doing 50 to 100 kilometers every week consistently. And training for the MDS was 
part of it was down to the fact that I'm not built to run. I have terrible biomechanics for running. Mm. Um, I'm quite a big guy, stocky guy, farmer's built. Um, so I'm not built for running. And also all the unknown things in, in, in the S, the self-sufficiency. I've never done any yeah, self-sufficiency. Yeah. Like carrying your food on your back and everything on your back for six days. It was actually eight nights, but six days of running, doing a marathon every day back to back, doing an ultra marathon, which is double marathon on day four, which is an 86 kilometer run. Um, all of these things that were so unknown, like you have to have your, your venom pump in case you get bitten by a snake. It needs to be in arms reach, reach at all times. All these things, these were giving me nightmares before I went out. I was I dreaming imagine, about yeah. freaking snakes biting me night before I went out. Um, and a lot of it was, again, for me, using that, because you need to use it as a reference point. Like I came back from NDS and I was talking to Damien, who's on your podcast, he was on mine as well. And I was like, Damien, I feel unstoppable now. As I came back, I was like, I feel like I can do anything. Yeah. And he's like, MDS does that. Yeah. He was like, it gives you that. And it does because you're leaning into that thing that you didn't know you could do. And even when you're doing it, I never had that, that voice never came that told me to stop, which encouraged me massively. I, I, there was no point at any stage when I went through it, I was like, control the controllables. I can control the things I can control. I can control that I ration my water and don't spill it. I can yeah. control that I take my salt. I can stay on top of my nutrition. You know, if I get caught, caught in a sandstorm, which happened on night two, there's nothing I can do about that. If I get bit by a snake or a scorpion, there's nothing I can do about that. These are out of my control. So I just control the things that I could control and then moved forward. And I finished and got past Marathon to Saw, but I finished and got past the finish line. And I remember it was the first time, probably the first time ever, when I was like, well done. I was like, good job. You deserve that, yeah. First, the first time. Yeah. You know, yeah, I have that type A personality type, which leads itself to an anxious state at times because you're constantly achieving what's next, what's the next thing, what's the next thing, and nothing's ever good enough. You always do something and you're on to the next thing. Yeah. Very, very common in type A personality types, and a lot of people will resonate with that. Some won't, but a lot will. Marathon Saga was the first one I finished it and went, well done. You were happy in that I was moment. Like, well yeah. done, good job at that. Because I had gone through my whole life and I was a you know professional fitness model, I was a competitive bodybuilder, I finished eighth of the world in Las Vegas, I was a GA player all my life, I have a business that, that helps best selling book, I've loads of stuff, but none of those things I never said well done for. Ever. Yeah. I was always like, What's next? What's next? And always Marathon Saga, I reflected and, and paused because of where I had started. Um, and that's probably one of the reasons that it's a nice way to finish the episode because it's the high end of using that as a reference point for how you do everything. Since I've came back, my relationships with people have been better. Yeah. The way I see the world is better. The things I'm grateful for, grateful now for having four walls and a roof after living through a sandstorm, you know, in the middle of the desert. You know, scary experience, which I'm sure we'll get onto maybe in another podcast. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And having those reference points because they always say behind every fear is a person you want to be you lean into that discomfort you lean into that fear and you start attacking those things and you become a stronger version of you because of it and that's what it's about the gym and training is just a physical manifestation and physical representation of how you live your life it translates into all other areas and that's why I got so much from MDS but you don't have to run marathon to Sabre to get that for you it might be going to the gym and joining it for the first time because you have gym anxiety and you're scared of the yeah. people will be looking at you it might be hitting that personal best or getting into that county panel or you know dropping those dress sizes so that you're confident walking into a room it's completely relative feeling like you've come somewhere and now you are somewhere else yeah. what's your Everest yeah. find what your Everest is because it's relative and then start working backwards from it well I tell you you're going to find your Everest very quickly now because if you beat me in this before we hit the road <laughs> uh, you're doing well we've got a really quick quiz yeah um, Rods so uh, you were a primary yeah. school teacher before were you okay. oh I did not know that yeah <laughs> so, uh, and rumour has it Rory was the smartest kid in his class yeah I can't yeah. remember who told me I think I think I told Possibly you that. Possibly. <laughs> uh, today's quiz is going to be um, a quiz for school children. I've taken it from uh, <laughs> from a school online. Um, okay. And the the forfeit is going to be my school fitness test when I was in uh, secondary school, which was the Cooper run. So run as far as you can in 12 minutes. Uh, what would you fancy in that as a quick gauge for me? 12, 12 minute oh, flat I'm, run. Okay, okay. I doubt I'm going to be the guy who just did the MDS. But anyway, let's yeah. see. <laughs> so just tag the other person in that on yeah, Instagram. Oh, yeah, okay. Tag you uh, when you lose. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, the quiz will consist of three questions. One point for correct answer. Zero for incorrect. Uh, if it goes to a tiebreaker, we'll go lightning round. Right, Something let's do it. Perfect. Is this fast, fastest one? Uh, you get asked first. You're going to ask three, three questions. Yeah, three. Uh, which is the oldest university in Britain? Oh. 
It feels like it's a trick question. Is it Oxford? Correct. Oh. Yeah. Go, yeah, I would have said Oxford. Yeah. <laughs> Roy, what is the name of the channel which separates Ireland from Wales? So uh, the Irish Sea. St George's Channel. Ah, oh, well, it depends what. Like, yeah. On, <laughs> on, on this side of the water, the, it's the Irish the, the Sea. This is really a Welsh quiz, Rods. All right, so one nil. Yeah. What athlete won four medals? in Munich in 1936 the Olympics mm. this is a school children's quiz yeah. this is a primary school children's quiz I think I think I was out I don't think I saw that Olympics <laughs> um, repeat the question four, 1936 four, four, four Olympic medals in Munich in 1936 oh, you know this one that's your hint Time up. Jesse Owens? Jesse Owens. But we're not going to give you a point for no, that. No, I don't get a point, so that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Jesse Owens, correct. Yeah. What? So, obviously, with the uh, Marathon de Sables, uh, talking about um, deserts, Roy, what is known as a ship of the desert? It's an animal. The ship of the desert. I'm looking around, no one seems to know this. It's an animal, ship of the desert. It's going to be... A elephant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have no idea. A camel. A camel. Okay. A camel. Oh, it carries water. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Well, you were talking about elephants so much for the episode. This is for the win, then. You got yeah, this for the, for the win. win. Which metal costs three times as much as gold? Costs. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Silver. It's not. Platinum. Platinum. Oh, yeah, okay. Right, this is for the tie, and it's yeah, up next. You've got to go. Course, yeah. What? Which is the Earth's only natural satellite? The Moon. Correct. Right. Oh, okay. Sudden death. Let's go quick. What does a barometer measure? Uh, Rory, pressure. What type of pressure? Uh, air pressure. Correct. Oh. Right, 12 minutes for you, Brian. Yeah. Thanks a million, really quickly. Best place for people to find you. The uh, Brian Keane Fitness Podcast, GA Lean Body Podcast. Check out your book. Yeah. Website, Brian Keane. BrianKeaneFitness.com. Fantastic. Listen, thanks a million. Super nice. stuff and episode. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks Appreciate so much. It. Cheers, Brian. Cheers. All the best.